Yeah, last week the happy song, this week the angry song. Hey, uh, hey uh, welcome to everybody who loves Jesus more than Peyton Manning, or uh, you just have DVR, it's one or the other, all right? Hey, uh, as, uh, as we're going to uh, continue in the series, why don't you pray with me real quick and we'll dive in, all right? God, thanks for uh, bringing us here together. Thanks that we have this opportunity to come together and worship you and hear more from you and about you and uh, what you have to say to us. And uh, just pray that you'll continue to work on us from the uh, inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you are wired. I know how I'm wired. There's definitely a side of me that's wired towards rebellion, and there's a side of me that's uh, wired towards looking for loopholes and everything, and wired towards looking for kind of the minimum requirement in order to get by in a lot of things. And that's definitely kind of the way that I approach school. I mean, I definitely embrace the C's equal degrees mentality uh, when I went to college and, and high school and things like that. And maybe you're like me, and whenever you signed up for a class or something like that, your first question was, how many absences am I allowed to have and still uh, pass this class and that fleshes itself out in a lot of different ways when you kind of have that mentality you start asking questions like how much am I allowed to drink without qualifying as drunk and how far am I allowed to go sexually with somebody I'm not married to and how much am I allowed to bend the truth on my taxes and things like that and see if I'm allowed to do it oftentimes for me that's all I need to hear if I have the right to do it then who are you to tell me that I shouldn't do it after all my life my liberty my pursuit of happiness are the most important things right so as we continue in this study of Paul's letter that he wrote back to this church that's literally gone wild, back in this wild city known as Corinth, this wild town known for its primarily sexual immorality and idol worship and a million other things like lying and cheating and stealing and trying to get ahead at the expense of one another. What we looked at last week was the bottom line in this city and even in this church was if it makes you happy, do it. If it doesn't make you happy, don't do it. It's just really that simple and consequently there was a lot of division in this little church in this town called Corinth and they were burning all their bridges their relationships between one another weren't very good and that fleshed itself out in a lot of different ways and today what we're going to look at is one of the big issues in this church was that there was this group of of Christians that were flaunting their freedom they were flaunting their rights and their liberties and their privileges and they were doing that in a way that will seem really strange to our modern ears but let me explain the way they were doing that was through uh, eating food uh, that was sacrificed in the in the temple to to idols and so as we said last week Corinth was perhaps most well known for its temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite and in that temple that temple employed a little over a thousand temple prostitutes at any given time and there were a lot of other temples in town as well and one of the common things that happened in all of those temples dedicated to those false gods were animal sacrifices and those animals when they were sacrificed usually a third of that animal was burned in the sacrifice another third of that animal was given to uh, the employees of the temple so that they could eat it and then another third of that animal was usually sent out to the marketplace uh, to sell so when when you went to the market in Corinth a lot of times the the meat that was sold there was was from food from from animals that were used in animal sacrifices and so remember a lot of the people who came to faith in Jesus in this town of Corinth they came from this idol worshiping background and so their background was they would go to the temple they would participate in these pagan temple feasts and things like that as an act of worship to a false god and now as Christians every time they go to the grocery store they're basically faced with a dilemma some of them in their maturity and in their knowledge recognize listen meat is just meat doesn't matter where it came from doesn't matter if it was used in a sacrificial ritual to a Greek or Roman God those things aren't real so it really doesn't matter where the meat came from so we can just buy whatever we want at the grocery store have a nice backyard barbecue and move on and they were right they were a hundred percent free they had the liberty and they had the privilege and they had the right to do that but there was another group of Christians in this church in Corinth that were 
really bothered by that concept, really bothered by that idea because if they were to go to the grocery store and buy that meat knowing that it was used in a, a pagan ritual in a temple that they once used to participate in, for them it violated their, their conscience because it reminded them of everything they used to do. It would remind them of what they used to go to those temples to, to worship and so they just couldn't separate that from their past life apart from Jesus and so their conscience was bothered by eating food that was once sacrificed to idols. So consequently what you had in this in this church was you had this group of people who viewed themselves as more mature and more knowledgeable who were basically flaunting their freedom and putting down people who were bothered by eating meat that was sacrificed to idols and so it was creating more division in the church and so in their correspondence with Paul one of the big questions they asked him was what should we do about this issue so in first Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 if you've got your Bibles you can go ahead and go there Pull it up in your phone and be on the screens as well. Uh, that was the big issue that Paul was trying to address and unpack for them. And what he's going to do is he's going to throw out a couple principles uh, that are going to run really contradictory to the way some of us are wired and to the way that this culture has kind of taught us to, to behave. So one of the first things he throws out is this, being right isn't always the most important thing. It's not, and that's really hard for people like me to hear. And then to all of us who like to lean on minimum requirements of what we're allowed to do, what we have the right and the liberty and the privilege to do, Paul's going to say something else. Listen, just because you're allowed to do it doesn't mean you should do it. So let's see how he unpacks it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, pick it up, verse 1. He says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, though puffs up but love builds up if anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know but if anyone loves God he is known by God so he really drops the hammer rather quickly on this group of mature believers who consider themselves smarter more mature and knowledgeable than everybody else and says listen so yeah you got this right you got this freedom you got this liberty but this knowledge that you have hasn't served its purpose it's actually given you an inflated view of yourself and you think a lot of yourself instead let me call you to something higher let me call you to this thing called love He's going, so if all you're thinking about is how you know so much, then your knowledge isn't serving the purpose it was intended to serve. You don't know as much as you think you do. Apparently, you're not as smart as you think you are. He goes on, look at verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. There's no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and lords, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom all things are and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. So he's going, listen, I'm with you guys. False gods don't exist. There's really one God, one Savior, one who holds everything together. Therefore, this food that was offered to these non-existent fake gods has no spiritual significance. It has no weird contamination, and it doesn't matter if you eat it or not. You're 100% free to eat it. You're absolutely absolutely right but Paul doesn't stop there he wants to call him to something else look at verse 7 however not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled food will not commend us to God we are no worse off if we do not eat no better off if we do so he goes listen great you have this great knowledge not everybody has it not every Christian is as far along in their mind and in their heart as, as you guys are. If, if they were to eat food that was once offered to an idol, it would really bother them. It would remind them of their old life. It would, it, would, it would really violate their conscience. And so they can't do it without being sent into a tailspin. The reality is there is some immaturity there. He's admit, Paul's admitting like it, they're not as knowledgeable, they don't know as much, and they're not as mature as you are. Awesome. That's the reality. So with that in mind, what Paul wants to do is he wants to call them to a higher principle. So look at verse 9 he says this 
but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, be careful that this liberty that you have doesn't become a hindrance, doesn't get in the way, doesn't block somebody from growing in, in their faith in Jesus. So he's really challenging these folks. He's going, listen, if you know so much and you're aware of this truth of this freedom and this liberty that you have, you kind of got two deals on the table and you're kind of taking the wrong one. He's going, basically what you guys have decided is that you're going to ridicule those who are not as mature and not as knowledgeable as you. You're going to flaunt your freedom in front of them and you're becoming a roadblock to them in regards to them growing in their faith in Jesus. Here's another option. What if you actually showed some love towards them? What if you were actually concerned towards those that aren't there yet? And so he, he, he goes on, look at, look at verse, verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Translation, you're a Christian now, it's not all about you. You're a follower of Jesus and it's not all about you. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you should do it because guess what? It's not all about you. It's not all about your rights. It's not even about being right all the time. You're called to something higher, better, and bigger than just the minimum requirement of what you're allowed to do. And that runs so contradictory to how a lot of us are wired and definitely runs contradictory to how our culture preaches to us about rights and liberties and we should make demands and we're the sovereign overseer of our own little universe and we're our own person I mean at the end of the day we lean towards rebellion I know I do you tell me not to do something that makes me want to do it all the more and so Paul says I'm not trying to write this to you. I'm not trying to shame you, be condescending towards you. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited towards you. Remember what we looked at last week? He says, I, I, I'm writing to you as a father with good intentions who wants good for his kids. He says it this way. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you then, be imitators of me. Do what I do. I'll go first. I'll be the leader. Just pay attention to what I do. And so what he does in chapter 9, you can go read this later today during halftime or something like that, but what he, what he basically says is, do you remember how I lived when I lived among you? Do you remember all the rights and privileges and liberties that I put down, I laid down, I forewent because I wasn't as interested in my rights and liberties and privileges as I was you guys? He reminds him of a few things. He goes, listen, I could have demanded that the church support me, but I didn't. I, instead, I made tents so that I could support myself. I let go of that right and privilege. He goes, I didn't eat and drink the same things with all the same people while I was in Corinth. I, I paid attention to who I was around at different times. He goes, listen, I have the right to get married, but I've let go of that right because of something more important. And so he, he tells us what that is in chapter 9, verse 12. He says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything. Thing rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. There's the principle. I'll endure anything. I'll lay down my rights for the sake of other people so that they can see and hear clearly the gospel, the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and that impact on their life. And he, he's, Paul's going, I don't want to put any obstacles in the way. I don't want to put any roadblocks in the way. I want to remove as many obstacles as possible, and I definitely don't want to be the obstacle. He's going, I don't want to be the problem. So Paul's going, I'll lay down my rights for the sake of loving others. I wonder where he learned that from. wonder where he got that from. wonder who he saw that demonstrated in. Remember when we studied Philippians when he wrote this? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me remind you about him, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, leveraged, or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Self-sacrificing, giving up rights and liberties for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did for us first. He went first as our leader. And it's out of that that we can love one another. It's because of what Jesus did for us that we can look to the needs of other people. Now, here's the reality. We don't have to. We're free. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're 100% free. That's what freedom means. You do not have to do any of this. You, You have the choice of whether to obey or disobey. And guess what? Whether you do or don't, Jesus will love you the same. If you obey, he's not gonna love you any more than he did before. If you disobey, he's not gonna love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. Nothing you can do to make him love you any less. His forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy are, is not up for grabs. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no qualifiers to this. So Paul, knowing all that, says, listen, I understand. We like to flaunt our freedom as kind of this divine trump card to play instead of being concerned about what actually benefits other people. What we a lot of times do is we like to blame others for just not being as far along as we are. We go, how come you can't be as progressive as I am or as smart as I am or as knowledgeable as I am? Why don't you try to catch up? So what we have this tendency to do is rather than help each other in this race called life, we have this tendency to those of us who can, we run ahead and then we look back and we laugh and ridicule at those who can't seem to keep up. So let me ask you a question. What takes more strength in a a race to run ahead and leave people behind or to continually throughout that race run back, come alongside of people, encourage them, help them and bring them along with you, which is a sign of greater strength and maturity? Again, Paul wants to say there's something more going on here than just your individual freedoms and rights. Look at what he says in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. In other words, Paul's going, I'm with you. I'm 100% free. I don't have to do the things I do or don't do, but what I'm trying to do is think in a different way. He's going, I'm not just trying to differentiate between right and wrong. And if it's okay for me to do, then I do it. If it's not okay, then I don't do it. He's going, I'm thinking on a much higher level. He's actually considering in every circumstance, what's the wise thing to do? See, that's a better question to ask. It's not always the right question to go, what's right or wrong? That's, that doesn't get you necessarily to where you need to be. The better question is, what is the wise thing to do? So he goes on to explain in chapter 9 how that kind of plays out for him. He's going, listen, when, when I, I consider my surroundings, I consider who I'm with, and then I ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? So he goes, listen, when I hang out with Jewish people who are still under the Old Testament law and we have dinner together and they do all their ceremonial hand washing and things like that, guess what? I do it too. I do it too. He goes, why would, why would I want to become a distraction to them? Why would I want to play my liberty or my freedom card to them and thus make it a distraction? I don't want them to resent Jesus. I want them to embrace Jesus. Why would I selfishly want to flaunt my freedom in front of them? I can participate in that tradition, that custom, no big deal. So like when we go to Afghanistan, we, we act differently, we dress differently, we interact differently with one another. Why? Because we're not as interested in our own rights and privileges and freedoms. That's not what we'll let go. We'll forego those things for a reason, for somebody else. I'm going to... I'm going to Uganda next Sunday, and so there are different cultural traditions when I go over there that we, will, that we abide by. Why? Because we care about the people that we're trying to reach. And Paul's going, it doesn't matter if I'm having dinner with, with a bunch of Jewish people under the law, a bunch of Greek-Roman people who are not under the law. Either way, I'm not thinking about my rights and my privileges and my liberties. I'm thinking about them. Paul's going, I want to consider first the needs of others as opposed to what I simply want to do or what I'm allowed to do. How about that for being countercultural? 
He keeps going, man, keeps pressing. Look at verse 22. He says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become, here's a famous saying, all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. He says, listen, I, I become all things to all people. And what he's not saying is that he's some sort of sellout or hypocrite with an identity crisis. That's not what he's trying to say. What he is saying is this, I'm trying to get out of the way. I'm trying to get out of the way. He's going, I don't want to become the focus. I don't want to become the issue. I don't want my behavior and my actions. I, I want all that to fade to the background so people can actually see Jesus clearly. That's the goal. He doesn't want to become an obstacle or a roadblock. So for example, I mean, this would play out a lot of different ways for Paul. Paul wouldn't sit down with a Christian family who's serving alcohol at dinner and say something silly like, oh no, I don't drink because I'm a Christian. That would be a roadblock. That would get in the way. On the flip side, Paul wouldn't sit down with a Christian family who doesn't drink and demand a glass of wine and play his liberty card no I have the right I have the privilege you go get it you guys are immature no that's not what he would do other people are the issue so so if the thing we're looking at today let's take a breath for a second all right so if this is what we're looking at today that as a follower of Jesus it's not about what you're allowed to do rather it's about something much higher much more important much deeper much more significant and that other thing is love for other people so that they can see Jesus clearly then how would that impact our lives today Forget about Corinth 2,000 years ago. What about Denver metro area 2014? Let me, let, me, let me give you a few examples of how I think this principle plays itself out in a very, very practical way. One, one happened this past week. You, you may have noticed when you came in here, if you were here last week, we changed the series graphic from last week to this week. There, the church has not gone quite as wild. There are a few more clothed people up there this week as opposed to naked people that were up there last week. Now, why did we do that? Well, because I had a few guys come up to me in the lobby last week humbly saying to me, listen, this isn't a criticism. You don't have to do anything with this. I just wanted to let you know how that graphic impacted me and it became a huge distraction for me because my issue is lust and I had to basically look down the entire message and I couldn't really hear or listen well to what was going on because this place that's normally a safe place for me failed to be a safe place this week. So we changed the graphic. That's an easy one for us. To be consistent with our value of excellent environments, which means we want to remove obstacles so that people can see and hear Jesus, the last thing we want to do is get in the way. Now, I know what's going through some of your minds. Right now, some of you are going, seriously, that's ridiculous. And you know what? You might be right. You might be right. That might be absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, I guess I could have stood there in the lobby and made arguments with guys and gone, well, listen, I hope you don't ever go to a European church or ever take an art class, heaven forbid, because there's nothing sinful about what the graphic we had up there last week. We're 100% free to use it. And I could have played our rights and privileges and liberties card, but that's not the highest value. If I actually care about the guys in this church like I continually say that I do, then that's not the, the point. Them seeing Jesus is. So simple, we changed the graphic. I mean, with a significant amount of men and women struggling with addiction to pornography and some sort of sexual addiction, we don't want to trigger any of that if we can help it. We can't always help it, but if we can, we certainly don't want to be a contributing factor to sending somebody into a tailspin. So we can let go of what we're allowed to do for the sake of what we should do for the benefit of others. Now, before everybody goes, wait, we get to vote on the series graphics now? No, you don't. All right, let me, let, let me, let me say what, what, let me say it this way. You know what would have happened if a bunch of self-righteous Christians would have come up to me in the lobby last week complaining about that graphic? Nothing. We would have added thongs. We probably would have done that, all right? Why? Well, because it's different. The, the longer I've been in ministry, and I've been in it a long time now, and around church people, the more I've realized that 
Sometimes the most immature people are the ones who masquerade as the most mature. The, the ones who think they are the most far along in their faith are often the most mean-spirited, spiteful, immature, divisive, unhelpful, unloving people who've just gone to a lot of Bible studies. And so, I've learned that whenever a mature Christian comes up to you and says something like this, you know, I just feel led by the Holy Spirit to tell you, and then they go on to tell you something, that's code for, I'm about to tell you the meanest thing you've ever heard based on my insecurity and fear, and you just have to grin and bear it because I played the Holy Spirit card, right? Is that, am I the only one? Has that never happened to anybody else? Right. So... So here's the difference. We're not going to pander to that, but a humble me too follower of Jesus who just comes and goes, this is my struggle, this is my thing, you do with it what you want. Well, man, we will respond to that all day long. Let, let, me, let me give you another example, and I'm only talking to followers of Jesus right now, and I, I talked about this a bit at the Women's Conference Parallel Universe last Friday night, and before I, before I get the first sentence out of my mouth, I know, I know what's going to happen. A lot of you guys are going to write me off and roll your eyes and tune me out and ignore the rest of what I, what I have to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, all right? Following the biblical principle of it's not about what you're allowed to do, but it's actually about loving concern for others so that they can see Jesus Ladies, can I ask you a question? How would that impact the way you dress? How would that impact the way you get dressed? In light of concern for others who have all kinds of baggage and weaknesses and struggles, and if you don't believe me, just hang out next to me in the lobby for a little while and eavesdrop if you want to. You'll hear all kinds of stories and struggles. Maybe the question becomes, well, should you really wear that? That's the, that's the question a wise, loving follower of Jesus asks, and many women in this church do that, and a lot of men in this church, we greatly appreciate that. It's awesome that you show that level of maturity, because here's the deal. Um, Jesus is not really interested that much in our feelings all the time, and he's not afraid to step on our toes, and that's consistent throughout the, the New Testament. So Paul will write all kinds of controversial stuff, and one of the most controversial things I think Paul could have ever written to our culture is in first corinthians chapter 6 when he says this catch this he says or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god this is so crazy you are not your own if you're a follower of jesus you're not your own for you were what bought with a, a price and what was the price jesus on a cross it's a steep price so glorify god in your body so what paul's saying is if you're a christian contrary to what our culture has indoctrinated you into your body's actually not your own you were bought with a price. So write this down. The way you dress displays your thoughts about God. And I know, I've studied this, modesty is relative to every culture. It is. It's absolutely relative to every culture. But don't use that as a cop-out because modesty still exists in every culture. There's a way to be modest in cultures where people barely wear any clothing. So the question then becomes, when you stand in front of that mirror, is this. What does this say about you as my God and what does this say about me as your daughter and does this show that I have any concern for any other man or any other women? Listen, you're free. Can you wear whatever you want whenever you want? Absolutely, you can do it. Jesus won't love you any more or any less based on what you wear. If that's the minimum requirement that you're chasing, fine, okay? Listen, just at least be honest about it. If it doesn't matter to you that there are a lot of men walking around who struggle with lust and pornography and sexual addiction, who are trying their best along with the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to be free of those things, to see women for who they really are as image bearers of God, as daughters of God, they're actually trying to value women the way that women want to be valued rightly and correctly and to not just see women as sexual objects. If you don't care anything about those men, at least just say it out loud, admit it. I don't care anything about those men. But don't play the I have the right to wear what I want to wear card. 
That just sounds really, really what? Immature. Immature when you say it out loud. See, Paul is saying it's not about, it's not just about what you have the right to do. It's about something much bigger. Let me give you another example. I've been around a lot of alcoholics in my family and in my life and uh, who, a lot of folks say this is a real struggle for them and I, I don't have an addictive personality. I can drink alcohol, put it down, drink it in moderation. I am perfectly free to do that. Now, that does not mean that I always should in every circumstance around all people. It doesn't. Now listen, I do not buy into the age-old lie perpetuated and it was sold to me in the Bible Belt that if somebody were to see me as a pastor out at a restaurant having a beer that they would use as an excuse to go on a drunken rampage murdering, raping, and pillaging all throughout the city. Listen, if you do that because you see me have a beer, that's not my fault, all right? That's, that's your deal, all right? What Paul's talking about is actually a far more personal thing. It means that when I grab dinner with a friend of mine who's an alcoholic, I, I don't... I don't have to order a drink. I don't have to have a drink and blow alcohol breath in his, in his face all night long. I don't have to do that. I can forego my right. I guess I could flaunt my freedom and privilege and liberty, but what good would that do for him? Why would I do that? Write this down. Flaunting your rights doesn't take any strength. We think it does. It doesn't. It's actually the lazy way out. Strength actually shows up in discipline and restraint and loving concern for others. That's what Paul says next. He makes a really cool comparison, a metaphor. Look at verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. They had what were known as the Isthmian Games in Corinth, where um, they were very Olympic-like type games. And so when somebody would win, they would put a wreath around their head, around their neck. And so uh, that's the comparison he's making. He's He's saying to these people in Corinth, listen, you guys have watched these athletes your whole life train for these games, and you've watched all the rights and privileges and things that they don't do for the sake of chasing something way more important something bigger see that's the principle Paul is trying to demonstrate it's not as simple as should you eat food sacrificed to idols or not in some instances you should and some you shouldn't that's what that's what Paul's saying you see I can imagine a scenario where Paul be sitting down to eat with a bunch of non-Christians and he wouldn't even ask where the meat came from he wouldn't care he wouldn't stop the proceedings go whoa 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 time out where did that steak come from I need to know He wouldn't care. It's no big deal to him. I can also imagine a scenario where if you were eating dinner with some Christians and they served meat that everybody knew had been sacrificed to idols and sitting next to him was a young new believer who just come out of that lifestyle and and that that kid wasn't going to eat that meat because all it would do was remind him of his past life. I bet Paul would push his plate aside too and go, I'm with you. I won't eat either. You see, contrary to popular belief, what Paul is challenging us to do is to actually use our brains more, not less. Paul's going, Christians should actually be the most thinking people on the planet, not the least thinking people on the planet. He's going, one of the things you should think about is others more than yourselves. He's going, what you're allowed to do and what you should do are often two different things. So you've got to what? Think. And ask, what's the wise thing to do in light of other people, in light of them seeing Jesus? Now, we could stop here, tie a bow on this, and walk out of here with that, that awesome life principle, and that would be okay. But there's actually something deeper going on here, I suspect, and I think. Which means we've got to get to the bottom of a question, which is this. Why do we do this? Why would we prefer to lean on what we're allowed to do versus what we should do or ought to do out of love and concern for another? I'll just personalize it. Why do I struggle so much to love other people? Why do we struggle so much to love one another well? And here's what I've been reflecting on this week. I think it's precisely because we're not very good at being loved ourselves. We're not good at being loved. We're definitely not good at receiving grace. And on top of that, I think a lot of us are pretty convinced that God doesn't like us. 
See, a lot of us, we can actually get with the love thing because when you describe God as a father, we go, okay, a father has an obligatory type of love towards his children, so maybe he's obligated to love me, but I'm positive he doesn't like me. Those are two different things, right? So we, we kind of walk around. We, we aren't good at being given something we didn't earn, and so we, we know, man, we, we're definitely not being, we're not good at receiving something we don't deserve, We'd rather perform, we'd rather earn, we'd rather labor, we'd rather slave so that we could get the credit. We have trouble loving others because we're not good at being loved ourselves. We're so addicted to performance, but at the same time, we're exhausted from performing, trying to earn God's grace and love and mercy. We're so into earning that that we're definitely not okay with other people screwing up and receiving God's grace, love, and mercy because after all, we worked for it and they should have to as well. And when you say it out loud... It sounds really sick, doesn't it? You know why it sounds sick? Because it is. It's a sick way of seeing ourselves. It's a sick way of seeing grace. It's a sick way of seeing God. It's a sick way of seeing each other. But there is another way to see grace. When we realize that as Tulian Tavichin says, Jesus came, man, to release us from this slavish need to be right and rewarded and regarded and respected because Jesus came to set the captives free. Life doesn't have to be this tireless effort to establish ourselves and justify ourselves and validate ourselves. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ announces that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won for you, you're free to lose. Because Jesus was someone, you're free to be no one. Because Jesus was extraordinary, you're free to be ordinary. Because Jesus succeeded for you, you are free. You're free to fail. Let that sink in. I've been, trying, I've been reading that over and over again, trying to get that to sink in. Jim and I have been having some really good conversations for a while now. and About, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, Jim and I were in his office. We were just chatting, talking. And um, one of the things he said to me that really struck a chord was this. He said, Scott, you've you got to understand, you, you're the guy who always has all the answers, way more than you have questions. And that can be really intimidating. And as soon as he said it, I knew he was right. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> hey, shut up. <laughs> Jerks. In all honesty, thanks for, um, you know, for eight years, you guys have put up with me and watched me, my vain attempts at trying to grow up and mature and all that kind of thing. And a lot of people wouldn't put up with that other pastor. So I appreciate you and love you for that. That's <laughs> grateful for that. Um, but I did, I knew, that, I knew that when Jim said it, it was true, but then later I was trying, I've been trying to reflect on why is that true? Why is that true about me? And I don't know that I have it all figured out yet. I, I suspect that it has something to do for some strange reason my entire life, ever since I was really, really young, people have always come to me for answers. And people that I expected to provide me with answers actually came to me with questions. And so I learned from a really, really young age, Scott, you better be able to answer everybody's questions or you're going to become a really big disappointment to everyone. So to be honest with you, I have slavishly pursued having all the answers for everyone at all times for a really, really long time. Now, so with that insecurity, right, layer on top of that, the fact that I started doing this podcast with my friend Elliot, who's an atheist, and some folks who are Christians have been getting really, really frustrated with me because I'm not always trying to win every argument with, with my friend or trade every punch with my friend. And some people's view, they've actually come to me and said, Scott, you're not winning. You need to do a better job. And that, 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 that taps into my deepest insecurity because here's the reality. I really like to win. 
I really like to win and I do not like to lose. I'm very competitive. So when I start to fall into the men that mentality and let people get into my head like that, what that does is that actually changes my view of my friend. It actually starts to make me see my friend as the enemy that I need to defeat and crush as opposed to just being the friend that I love. And when I see him that way, that's not good for him. It's not good for me. And it's definitely not good for him seeing Jesus. But, but, when I can embrace the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ announces that because Jesus was strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won for me, I'm free to lose. Because Jesus was someone, I'm free to be no one. Because Jesus was extraordinary, I'm free to be ordinary. Because Jesus succeeded for me, I'm free to fail. Guess what? So much easier to just love my friend. So, my name is Scott. I don't have all the answers. And God still loves me. And I'm pretty sure he likes me. And I'm pretty sure he likes you too. Our children's pastor, uh, Ron Leach, and I have known each other since I was in middle school. So if you really want the dirt on me, just go talk to Ron. And um, he, he brought this awesome song to our staff meeting this, this past week. It's called Be Loved. And please don't go anywhere during this, this song, all right? It is worth the wait to sit here and listen to these words and let them sink in. Be still and know that he is God. And like we said last week, be still and know that you are not God. And that's really good news. But let me tell you who you are. You are his child. And he loves you. And guess what? He likes you. Bottom line is this. The key to being more loving to others is not to try harder to love others. It's to be loved by the one who made you. My, my favorite line in that song is uh, we, we didn't earn it he just chose to give it and I hope that if you've been coming here for very long the truth of Romans 5 6 has sunk in deeply into your heart not just your mind and Jim and I talk about it all the time and uh, sometimes when you, you say the same verse over and over and over again it loses its impact because you've heard it so many times and so I was sitting in my office this week thinking how would I just kind of say this in my own words to a bunch of people that I love a whole lot? And so I just kind of wrote this out. And so I just want to read this to you, and then we'll stand and sing one more awesome song, and we'll go, we'll go watch a ball game. But here's the way I think it plays out. While you and I were at our worst, our lowest, our deepest moment of shame and brokenness, while we were in the middle of that space and time that we've lived to regret the most, in the moment that we couldn't have felt further from God, in that moment, Jesus reached down into the mess of our sin and shame and guilt, and he took it. Not only that, he became it for us when we had nothing to offer him back, nothing to give him in return, no payment that could be made. All we had to give him was our sin, and he took it, and he gave us forgiveness and love and mercy, and this is why they call it amazing grace. Let's stand and sing about it now.